0: Good evening, everybody, and uh, it's lovely to be here today, and uh, thank you to all who took part tonight, especially the girls. I think it was a last-minute call-up to sing. You did very well, and I don't know if I'm cruel, but I give a young girl 30 verses to read in front of a church, but sure, she did very well, didn't she? You? you either go biggie, or go home. is not what to say, so, but if you've got your Bible with you tonight, please turn to Daniel chapter 3. It's a great narrative, and we're going to just go through that tonight, so if you've got that. That would be really great if you could just turn to it and keep it there. Okay, so in AD 64, the Roman Empire ruled the world at that time. And it was that year the main city of this empire burned to the ground. Uh, The emperor at that time was one of those infamous ones... Um, his name was Nero. You may have heard of him. And there's a saying about that time about Nero that he played the fiddle while Rome burned. And that's the stuff of legend that never happened. However, Rome did burn on his watch and the blame was attributed to him. So to try and defuse this uh, situation, to try and pass the, the buck on to someone else, Nero put the, the, the blame of this onto a new group of upstarts called Christians. And there's a great historian from that time called Tacitus, and he was famous for a set of writings called the Annals from that time. And in this piece of work, he writes about Nero at this time of the fire. And this is what he says about Nero. He says, To get rid of the reports, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. And he goes on to say, They were covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. And essentially what Nero did, the Christians of that time, he he turned them into candles on the streets of Rome. And those Christians of that time were burnt because they followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout history, and even if you took time to Google it, right up until present day in countries like Nigeria, the children of God are burnt because of their faith in him. But at this time, there was this great persecution in Rome because of Nero. And the believers, were they were understandably, they were scattered right throughout the Roman Empire. And it was at this time of persecution and scattering that the Apostle Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter. And he writes at the start of it, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to all these people who have been scattered because of this persecution in Rome. But what he says in 1 Peter 4 verse 12 is very interesting. And remember, he's writing to friends, family members, people who went to church with those who were burned because of their faith in Jesus Christ in Rome. And this is what he says, and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange was happening to you. You see, this idea of fiery trials is seen throughout Scripture. But it was very, very, very significant to these first readers of this letter. Because they knew all about literal fiery trials. And the words in this verse, things like surprise and strange, they all come from that same root word, which really means unusual. And Peter is saying to those first century scattered believers, and to us today, no matter what age we are in this building, Do not think it's strange, and do not think it in any way unusual when fiery trials or difficult circumstances come upon you. It's not a strange thing. It is going to happen to you. And we need to be very clear. In this world that we live in now, there are some very peculiar teachings go about, and even in some churches we'll find them. But Christians are not immune from difficult circumstances or fiery trials. We have difficult circumstances in our friendships, in our exams, in our health, in our families, jobs, school, even church. You name it, life is tough at times. And although sometimes it's also oh difficult for us to see it, and really difficult for us to understand, we must believe the promises of God. Things like Romans 8 and 28 when he says that all things work together for good for those who, who love the Lord. God does do this. He keeps his promises. It just doesn't always look like we think it should look. And tonight we want to spend some time looking at three boys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and learn from their very literal fiery trial how God can work in the fiery trials and difficult circumstances of our lives that indeed beyond any doubt every single person in this room will face no matter what age you are. And we want to set the scene a little bit. So the first point we want to look at tonight is simply the culture they lived in and the pressure they faced. So I'm going to go through some of the, the passage again, follow along with me, and then we'll comment on it as we go. So verse 1 there. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. This statue was 90 feet high. It's nine feet wide. It's huge. And it's covered in gold. There was a huge expense and huge extravagance in setting up this idol. And by the way, this is the exact same area where the Tower of Babel was previously set up. That place where man said to themselves, come let us make a name for ourselves. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is planning to do. Make a name for himself. And then in verse 2 he goes on to say, then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counsellors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counsellors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together and onto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up keep going. Then a herald cried, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. You can't help but note the repetition there, can you? And we must remember tonight we are working with the very word of God, and there's nothing in here by chance. And if something is repeated here, it's repeated for a reason. And God wants us to be very clear here tonight that if it was King Nebuchadnezzar who set this up, this statue, but why is that important? It's very important. Because Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the most powerful empire of the world. And only God is all-powerful, we know that. But, but Nebuchadnezzar is as close as it gets as a human being, and he sets the rules for this kingdom. He decides what happens in this kingdom. He decides what not happens. He decides what the culture is for this kingdom. He decides who lives. He decides who dies. And if he sets up this idol, if he sets it up, people are going to bow down to it. And then he's smart about this. He, he wants the entirety of ...of the kingdom to ensure unity right across the empire. And he invites all the movers and shakers. We read about them from across the empire to come and bow down. And this is also repeated so we get the point. That if all the leaders are committed... ...and they're all bowing down to this statue... ...the whole empire is going to bow and worship. And I think the message God wants us to get is very, very clear. The one who makes the rules... ...the one who makes the culture... The one who decides all that goes on sets up this idol, and the whole nation will bow down to it. What a situation these three young men of God find themselves in. The culture they live in is dictating that everybody will bow and worship this idol. The whole nation they live in is geared up against the one true God, their God. And this is the situation they find themselves in trying to take a stand for God alone. For God. And I'll not labor this this evening but but sometimes I think when it comes to these stories in the Bible that we think we're a bit above it sometimes in the 21st century. We sometimes look down our noses a little bit that these people who bowed down the images of wood or stone and gold and we think idols well they're a thing of the past they're not really relevant to us now but we actually couldn't be more wrong. Now, we don't have one king who makes the running in our culture but our culture here in Northern Ireland, and the United Kingdom and Ireland, is filled with idols that take us away from God. And remember, an idol is just something that really takes our heart from God, that, that makes God not be first place in our life. That's what an idol is. And it, believe it or not, it can be school. It can be friendships. It can be sport, money, power, possessions. They're just a few of the things. But these are the things that occupy our hearts and our minds more than God. And be honest with yourself this evening, I'm not going to go over a list of endless possibilities. But whenever you look into your heart, even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is there something in your heart that occupies you more, has more of your affections, occupies more of your mind than God? And if there is, that thing is an idol. So in our society where we live, these idols are set up all around us. And the whole of our society is bowing down to them. They're giving them a place of God. Things like friendship is more important than God. Now, sport is, money is, power, possessions, pleasure are what people love. And as Christians, we're to stand out as different from the rest of our society because we have God as number one in our lives. And that has to completely change our outlook on life. But let's look further. It was not just enough that King Nebuchadnezzar is the culture setter. He offers them a little incentive too. In verse 6 he says this, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the CMR be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. I don't think he put that bit on his invitation to the big day. If he didn't bow down, this is for happening. Verse 7 then says, Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalter, and all kinds of music, All the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So just to be sure they bowed down, just to be sure they worshipped the idol he has set up, he lets them know that if they don't do it, it's immediate death. They talk about pressure. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are surrounded by people worshipping something they will not. And to add to their pressure... They have been told they will die in a furnace if they do not do it. We can't miss the point. We talk about the world today and the pressures people are under to conform and worship these idols of friendship and sport and pleasure and money, etc. And these pressures are actually really real. And the people they're most real upon are our young people, our teenagers and early 20s. They are under great pressure to conform in this world. But look at this. The pressure applied to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was this. Conform to our world or die. And in parts of our world today, that is what is happening to Christians. Some are still literally being burnt to death. And we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. But in our society and here in Northern Ireland, it could be a loss of a friendship. It could be missing a promotion in work. It could be isolation, not getting a job as you take your stand for God. We need to take notice and encouragement that these three men, in the midst of a culture that was totally anti-God, and with a real threat of death over their head, with God's help, they were able to stand. And listen, be encouraged. Whatever the pressure upon you today to let God down and conform, It's not as much as these boys suffered. And with God's help, you can overcome and have the victory too. So that's the situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves. And it's bleak to say that's an understatement. So what's next? So the first, we've seen the culture they lived in and the pressure they faced. But look at the confidence they had in their sovereign God. So verse 8, this is what it says. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They speak and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. This started well. O king, live forever. Verse 10. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sack, but the psalter and the dulcimer and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he should be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They're reminding our big old king on this, his big day, when he invited everybody to come and bow down and do what he said. They're reminding him, verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. King, he's appointed them. They're not paying you due regard. They're not serving your gods. They're not worshiping the golden image you have set up. They are laying it on thick to the king here. And in verse 13 it says, Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they brought these men before the king. They're showing him up on his big, big day. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them, saying, "Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image, which I have set up?" And before that, he's asked a question, and before they even get a chance to answer the question, he goes on to say, in verse fifteen, "Now, if you're ready, I quite like that." Now, if you're ready, boys, maybe, maybe he didn't really like the enemies. They were skeptical of the stories. He may have even liked these boys. And he gives them another chance to see a face. And this is what he says again. Now, if you're ready, that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbot, the psalter, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the CMR in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Oh, the arrogance of this man. But he unwittingly asks one of the greatest questions of all time. Who is the God who will deliver? And we're going to get the answer to that very soon. But here we arrive at that point, you know, in the movie or in the book, if people still read those, that we look forward to, the climax. What are they going to do next? And we are fortunate. We have heard this story many times before, and we know it. But let's try and imagine this is the first time we have read this story about these three boys. So we're at the point where they've not bowed down in the face of extreme pressure. They've been given a second chance. The king leaves them in no doubt. If they don't take this second chance, they're going into the fiery furnace. They're going to die a painful death. And let's not doubt for a second that this threat is real. And the boys know it's real because when we read in Jeremiah, this is what it says in Jeremiah. It says in Jeremiah 29, just one of the verses, Because of them this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah and Babylon. The more the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar roasts people in fire. This is not an empty threat. He's going to do it. So what are they going to do? And they don't do what we so often do in our day. And I think we are all times sadly guilty of this. They didn't try and twist and convince themselves that what they were doing was okay. They didn't go something like this. Well, we've made our stand, but now it's getting a bit serious. And we're for dying here. We need to get a way out of this, so we'll start using our own logic. And, well, we could say that we um, maybe, we can bow down, but we know in our hearts that we're not worshipping him. And well, God knows our hearts. So if we bow down not worship with our hearts, God knows that. That's a win-win. Not a bit of it. Read what happens next. Verse 16. we we'll read again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thy hast set up. They are 100% clear. We will not serve your gods. There's no gray area. There's no trying to compromise and get out of this life-threatening situation. Why? Because these three young men knew, they believed, and they obeyed the word of God. Go back to Exodus 20, and we know the commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, your Lord, am a jealous God. God said, don't do it. So they weren't going to do it, even in the face of death. What faith they had. But let's look at this again, how this played out. 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Notice what didn't happen here. These guys had their minds made up. And they had their minds made up long before the king even posed this question. There's no point where they had a little discussion to see what they would do. They had determined in their heart, long before this trial had even entered their lives, that they were going to obey God. And at no point was this situation for them about how can we be delivered, how can we be rescued. This whole situation for these three boys was how can we obey God. That was their focus. And there's a great lesson for all of us to learn from these three men. You see, today we have learned that in our society, we don't really fit in. There are idols being set up all around us. Everybody else is worshipping them. We are pressurised to worship them too. And if we stand against it, we're going to enter into hard times and trials. But like these three young men, we need to determine in our heart to obey God's word. And we need to claim the promises of God, not when we hit the trial, but for when we hit the trial. You see, these men knew the word of God, they knew his character, they knew his promises, and that enabled them to stand firm and obey God, even if it was going to cost them their lives. Young people here tonight and everyone, stand for God, trials are coming. But if you're not making the preparation now, by spending time in his word, by praying, by listening to sermons, getting to know him, getting to know his character, getting to know his promises, if you're not doing that when the trial comes, you will fall. Because in those difficult times, how can you fall back onto a God and his character and his promises if you don't know them, if you don't know them? But look at the trust and faith they put in a God who is sovereign and good. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They trust in his power. He's able to deliver us. And I like that. We all like that, don't we? God can deliver us from the trial. But read on and it gets a little bit harder. Verse 18 says, But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They say to the king, if God decides in his sovereign will and plans to not deliver us, then we will not bow down. And we know what that means. And these guys were saying that day, we will die before we disobey God, if that's what he so chooses. How does that make you feel? That's what, what a challenge that is to us. If God delivers us, we'll obey him. If God chooses not to deliver us, we'll equally obey him, even if it means death. You see, these men knew and believed with all our heart what we need to know and believe with all our heart. We need to know what the Bible says. Things like, shall not all the God of all the earth do right? Of course he will. Does God work together all the things for those good, for those who love him? Of course he does. He promises to Even though these men would never, ever have wanted to be near a fiery furnace. Even though they couldn't understand what God was doing in their life, he was doing it for their good. Didn't look like what they thought it should look like, but they chose to obey no matter what. Listen, we need to get to know our good God. His promises, his character, so when the trials come, we can obey him and trust and have confidence in a sovereign God no matter what he chooses to do in our lives. So we've seen the culture they lived in, the pressure they faced, the confidence they had in the sovereign God. And finally, let's look at the God who delivers. Verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was to be heated he was wanting to get it up to roughly the reckon about a thousand degrees centigrade. And why is this detail even in here? I think it's probably in here so this story doesn't read as ridiculous. This story reads as it should do. It's absolutely miraculous. Verse 20. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hose, and their hats. And their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was so angry, he was in such a rush, he sacrificed some of his great men. In verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counsellors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true king. He answered and said, though I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And that... Free as a son of God is probably better translated as a son of the gods. Remember, this was a pagan king who hadn't a clue who God was, let alone the son of God. He didn't know what he was looking at. Later, he calls it an angel. But we know who this is, don't we? This is the one we read off in our Bibles all the time. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is who was with them in the fiery furnace. God himself came down to deliver them. And when I think of Emmanuel coming down to deliver from the fire, I cannot help my mind but think of that verse in Revelation, maybe you do too, in Revelation 20, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This evening, if you're here tonight and you're unsaved, maybe you've heard this message over and over again, Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ, came down, the Son of God, and he came to this earth to grow, live a perfect life, to die on a cross to take the punishment for your sin and for mine, so that you could be delivered from that eternal torment in the lake of fire. But that verse in Revelation I read is very clear. If you do not confess your sins, repent of them, and ask Jesus to be your saviour, your name will not be found in the book of life. And you will be thrown for all eternity into a lake of fire to receive punishment that you're due for your sins. And it is the prayer of everybody in this church that that would not be the case for anybody here tonight. When we read on, God saved these three men from the fiery furnace, and he saved them perfectly and completely. Not a hair was singed, There wasn't even a smell of smoke upon them. And if you come tonight and confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what? He will perfectly and completely save you. And you will have the wonderful privilege of a relationship with him on earth and a glorious home in heaven forevermore. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us this day. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word we thank you, Lord, that you're a God we can trust. Lord, we thank you for those of us who are saved. We can trust you in the trials of life, that you're a good and a caring God and that you're with us. And Lord, we also thank you, Lord, that you love everybody and you don't want to see people in a lost eternity and you want to save them. And we pray for anybody here tonight that's not dead saved, Lord, that you will give them deciding grace to give their lives to you, even this evening. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.